Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs. This is Dan Morang. I'm a little bit country. He's a little bit rock and roll. Dan, are you ready to get this season started? <laughs> it's about damn time. We're, 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 at the, we're at the point now where it's like, We've gotten past the, yeah, the season's here. And now it's like, all right, already, let's go. Right. The preseason is over and it's over for us too. You know, we had, we've been practicing all summer, but for us, it's on now as well. We are, this is the starting lineup that Blazers Edge podcast listeners are going to get. And we're going to do our <laughs> best to carry it through the season and go play strong. We're going to try to come out strong. Play hard. So let's go ahead and just dive right in because there's a lot going on. Uh, opening night is on Wednesday. There's going to be a Blazers Edge viewing party. It's going to be hosted by Peter Sampson of Blazers Edge Radio on X-Ray FM. He's going to host the party. You and I, I think, are both going to jump on the mic at some point, and we're going to be watching the game together at Spirit of 77. Yes, we downtown right across the street from the Moto Center. Uh, for those who don't know where it's at, it's right off of uh, the Broadway exit. Just loop back around on the east, southeast side of uh, Moto Center. Uh, it'll be us and a few other folks from Blazers Edge. So if you want to come out and check out the game and deal with some people from Blazers Edge, either love or hate or both, love hate <laughs> relationship, uh, we'll be there all night, uh, hopefully to discuss and, and watch and have fun with the Blazers win. Yeah, it should be an interesting night. Uh, the Blazers will be starting, but they will be without their starting shooting guard, Mr. C.J. McCollum. And you know what, Dan? I'm going to let you describe this one because you're the one who wanted them all to get, you know, get tough. And so here we are with C.J. sitting. So why don't you talk about what happened? Uh this is your typical preseason, regular season, whatever, scrum. And C.J. took what he said was eight steps and... In the NBA's eyes, that's a suspension. Oh, the rule is the rule, and I know why it's a rule. And Stephen Jackson's come out and put out his IG post about how it's a stupid rule. And while well, at the same time, he understands that, yes, he was in the stands. They shouldn't have taken $3 million of his money. Um, it's the same thing for here for CJ. He's going to lose close to $200,000 uh, for his game check, as well as the fine that he's probably going to get. Um, all because he took a few steps during a preseason game. And the thing about this is it's kind of irritating me. And I'm with CJ on this, is that it's – okay enough to suspend him but the, the the game matters as much to suspend him but the next game the preseason game isn't valuable enough to suspend him for but the, instead they're going to suspend him for a regular season game so i mean which one is it I, and i don't know if that's homer in me or not i just i think it's kind of stupid that it's it's the preseason game counts for the suspension but in order to actually have a suspension count that's you have to count it for the regular season game if that makes any sense yeah. It's, so it's it, to me, that sounds it seems kind of dumb as far as the, the tough guy thing goes. I, I've liked what they've done so far this season. And I, I don't think this really has anything to do with with the whole tough guy mentality, although it started it is after an cool. altercation. Yeah, it, it is kind of cool to see CJ stand up for his rook, though. Like, I mean, that's you don't typically see that kind of thing, even if it was dumb or whatever you want to call it by CJ for even making the move towards that. Um, it's, it's nice to see that, that CJ and the other guys were all heading in that direction. If that makes sense, it kind of shows you that there's already an immediate bond form with a guy like Swanigan. And I think that's kind of cool to see ready to stand up for their guys. Yeah, of course, but we have to have the one stupid CJ miss a game section as part of the year every year. I know. It, Last year he missed out because they filled out the uh, lineup. Uh, we had the Doc Rivers. Yep incorrectly this time he's uh, missing it because of the suspension my guess is next year he's going to miss a game because he misses the team bus and he's going to get stuck somewhere 
I have to say that of all of the blazers, I think CJ's the one that I yell at the most when I'm at home. <laughs> and I got this is what it always sounds. I'm gonna step back from the mic because you know this is what it sounds like. I, you have to imagine me with my hands on my hips, with like a heart, you know, with a with a smirk on my face, going, CJ. <laughs> I just, you know, he's such a smart young man, and every once in a while, he just does a boneheaded move. And that's he does, where I, I swear, that, like that trash talk comes from. Like, he, the, the, there's a little bit of ironness to CJ that people don't realize is there. It's one of the things I've always found, I don't know, kind of a weird way, kind of endearing. Um, I, I like that he's not quite as squeaky clean as maybe his his image suggests. The interesting thing here is that Portland already had a couple of lineup questions, and we still don't know what their starting lineup was going to be pre-CJ suspension. And now we're really kind of sitting here going, okay, who are they going to start? Yeah, are we're going to wait a whole extra game. <laughs> well, I mean, are they really going to put Evan Turner, Maurice Harkless, and, and Al Farouk Aminu on the floor at the same time with Damon Nurkic? Well, what do you think? I, do you I think, think they will, or do you think they'll start Pat Connaughton? I think it's a terrible idea to put three, those three guys on the floor together at the same time. All three of them? Yeah, I just... So who do you think would be the who do you think would be the lineup on opening night? If you're going to put... If you're going to start Turner... Start Swanigan. Put one more option on the floor. So you would have Turner Swanigan along with, with CJ Dame. Well, well, I'm just or talking about for CJ, game sorry. one. So it'd be Dame, Turner, Harkless, Swanigan, Nurkic. Okay. So if you're going to start, if you, basically if you're going to start Turner and you want to put Harkless and Aminu out there too, let Swanigan start and then rotate Harkless out for Aminu and then do a short change bring Connaughton in for Turner, let him get a quick blow, come back, you know, have him come back in um, with the rest of the second unit a bit later and stagger your shooting a little bit. Maybe somebody like Jake Lehman gets on the floor a little bit more. Maybe they go really small and Napier gets to play, but I haven't seen him out there, you know, during the preseason. Um, I think you just uh, really want to see Swanigan start. Well, I did be to begin with, but now even more so. Like I, I, you're, you're talking about one of the, as far as percentage wise and historically one of the, the lower shooting percentage starting lineups in the entire NBA. I mean, we're, we're teetering towards Chicago bulls bad. Um, when we're, when we're looking at as far as floor spacing. Well, let's wait and let's wait and see what happens. I, my guess is that they're going to, that he's going to put in Connaughton, that he's going to keep everybody else who he's regularly going to use. And he's just going to switch out that one position, which has been Stoss's MO. He's he, when, when it's been one guy, yeah, that's where we saw Alan Crabb kind of come in and fill in and everybody else's spots stay the same. The Lord knows I've been wrong a million times. I, another thing that I was wrong about is I really thought that the Blazers were going to keep Anthony Morrow. But yeah, after absolutely. the game on Friday night, the Blazers announced that they were letting Isaiah Briscoe, Anthony Morrow, and Archie Goodwin all um, setting them all free. I don't know. The, it was weird. Tell me why they announced it this way. The announcement said the Blazers announced they have requested waivers on That's Isaiah Briscoe. What does that mean? That's the official language. So they, they, they put in the request of waiver forms for, from the NBA office. Then, then these guys can go through the waiver process and they collect some and they collect them. If not, then they're, they're officially free agents. Is that just uh, different from being cut? It's, a, it's essentially the same thing. Okay. It just seemed um, like the, a the really complicated process. way to say it. I was like, what does that mean? That's the actual legal terminology for the, for the, for the CBA as far as it's concerned. Um, honestly, uh, the financial part of it made sense. And my gut always was telling me that they were going to carry 14, but I was fighting against my gut the entire time because it just made more sense to keep Morrow in, in my, I understand flexibility and I know that the Portland's been a team. It's historically, they'd like to sit on 14 so they can make 15 instead of having to cut a guy mid season and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. But it just seemed like Morrow was the perfect guy for what they needed a spot minutes, three point shooter, who just comes in, does what he's supposed to do, checks out. Yeah. Well, and you know how I, much I liked having his experience on the bench. And uh, I noticed him, you know, talking to players during timeouts, you know, spending a lot of time talking to Myers, talking to Nurkic. I think it was nice to have somebody there that they could talk to. But I guess they're going to just move forward with 14 and have that flexibility to add somebody else if they want to. <laughs> yeah, you got to love flexibility. <laughs> that's 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 turned into a whole lot for us in the, in the past. 
Well, one more bit of news that the Blazers announced that it looks like Nurkic is going to go ahead and uh, become a restricted free agent at the end of the season. Is that a surprise to you at all? No, the Blazers are announcing that they're going to make sure they don't screw themselves like they did in the past years with restricted free agents. Uh, that's that's what this is. I mean, the, Nurk has had health issues. He's a marketing maven for them. So that they want to take care of him, but they also they have so much money invested in Dame, CJ, um, Harkless, Leonard, Turner, those guys that they can't afford. I mean, they 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 moved one of their mistakes already in Allen Crab. They can't make another one because otherwise it costs them another year or two before they can recoup the losses from that. And that's not to say that that Nurkic is going to be a loss, but if you know, heaven forbid he gets nicked up and isn't able to, to play for 50 games or more than 50 games, then yeah, you're, you're considering keeping him, but are you really looking at giving him that max or near max money? If, a, if he can't stay healthy, that's a serious issue that they have to worry about. Um, and, and I think that Portland's playing this smartly. Um, I think Nurkic is playing this smartly because if Nurkic goes out and balls out for 75 games, he's going to get his money. Mm -hmm. he's absolutely unequivocally going to get his money. Um, and the thing is, I don't, I don't even think even if he plays out, out of his mind, unless we're talking like MVP status, I don't think he's going to get a max. And I know that may blow some people away. I think he's going to get really, really good money, but I think he's going to get in that 20 to 21 million range, which isn't max. And it's a little bit less than, than CJ is getting. And, most of that is based on the fact that the the big man and the way that they're looked at and the way they're getting paid is not what the rest of the guys in the, the wing positions are getting paid. Unless your name's Anthony Davis or Cat or or Boogie, you're just you're not in the region uh, as far as pay scale goes going to get that that crazy crazy max money. So Portland's really I think doing everything they need to do to to, to kind of CYA here. I think it's interesting because at this point we have a player who they, uh, the trailblazers have a player who's going to play out the whole season. And at the end of it, that's where he can test the market. And if somebody makes him an offer, the trailblazers have the right to match it. Is that what we're talking about with restrictive free agency? Exactly. Okay. And this market is, is really, really heavy on shooting guards. It just seems like it's been a while since we've actually um, watched how a player plays for a whole year and then paid them based on what they just did rather than on potential. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> crazy idea. Right? We had the, we had that couple, you know, two years ago, two seasons ago, summers ago where everybody just got paid on potential. And so now we're saying, actually, you know what, let's, let's, both feel each other out and he'll see how, how good of a game that he, you know, he, he get to have a whole year. He'll get to have a whole year to perform and, you know, make himself worth a lot more too. So I think it'll be exciting to have him playing for that this year. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm hoping that he justifies every penny mm -hmm. that, that, that they're looking to pay him, that, that he's, that he's looking to earn that, that is the optimal goal in my mind. Paying guys that are producing never, ever, ever should be an issue with NBA teams. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be something that we will keep our eye on. I mean, never how, how Nurk goes is, you know, is going to really talk a lot about how the trailblazers are doing and what we wanted to spend the bulk of our, this episode talking about um, a lot of it's going to depend on Nurk. We wanted to this yeah. episode talk about defense and just spend some time establishing kind of like what the baseline is that we know of from last year. And so, you know, we're, Blazer, we're kind of in a good situation where we can look at the trailblazers and we know that there wasn't a lot of turnover. So how things were last year are probably a pretty good indication of a, a good place to start. You know, it's not like we got a whole bunch of new players and we're just like, I got no idea. <laughs> we yeah, can no, at least look at the past performance. It's really funny because uh, Ben Dollar put his, his predictions for, for the NBA playoff or rankings and how he saw Portland and he had them possibly sitting as high as fifth as everything, if everything went right. And that was based on consistency, which is kind of funny because Ben and I have, have had this conversation before, you know, how much did consistency pay off for Portland in the past? Mm -hmm. um, that's a great question because that's what I was excited about in going from the previous season into last season. I thought, Oh, well we have all yeah, these guys. We we're all used to each other. Yeah, it's great. I was <laughs> seduced by that. <laughs> and in, I think, but at least speaking 
as far as what I would know as far as what Ben was talking about, there's consistency, but there's also Dame CJ Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing that the, the, the those can be quantified, Dame CJ and then what Nurkic did and what he could possibly do, I can see kind of where he got that idea from. Defensively, I'm not sold yet. Were they better with Nurkic? Yeah. I mean, they had a Nurkic-sized hole before he got there. Um, as much as I love Mason Plumley's effort and and what he did for this team and, and how hard he worked, he just he's not a big enough body. Uh, he wasn't mobile enough. He wasn't enough of a presence to really affect or compensate for the lack of perimeter defense. And Nurkic is the guy that, that can do that. I mean, if you look at what Portland's done over the past two seasons, if you if you're looking in, we're not going to look at individual play data because that just makes great podcasts. <laughs> that, that, that's we had that bit, whole conversation that, before we got much. on the air. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit much. Um, but if you look at what where they rank as far as synergy play type data, they were 24th in the NBA in points per possession at 0.986, which is I mean that's almost a point of possession, and that's just god awful. So that's, wait, that's slow, that's atrocious. Slow down just just a minute. Let's let's stop. Let's back it up just a minute and give some really basic stats before we go into the the more uh, specific ones and just talk about like in general their defensive rating where it's gone in the last couple of years. The last two years, it's gone down and has gotten worse. So everybody wants to talk about uh, hey, Portland's like turning the corner and they're they're getting better and it's like no, they're actually getting worse. So two seasons ago, their defensive rating was 108, and that is opponents' points per 100 possessions? Is that correct? Correct. Okay, so two seasons ago, their opponents were scoring 108, and that made them 20th in the league, so top of the bottom third. And then last season, the defensive rating went to 110, and that dropped the Portland defense down to number 24. So by the end of the season the Portland Trailblazers were number 24 in defensive rating in the league. And the thing is, is that with the way that the NBA is played right now and the pace that the NBA is played at, defensive rating is almost or nearly at um, the points allowed per game. Because mm-hmm. if, if you look at... Because the pace is about... It's about yeah, it's about 100. So when you're looking at those numbers, that that's just god-awful. I mean... They, you can get by the old adage was if you have a top five offense and a top 15 defense, you were considered a title contender. Or if you had a top two or three defense and a top 15 to 18 offense, you can make it work in today's NBA. You better be top seven or eight in both. You're you're just not getting it done. Otherwise that, or you better have LeBron James on your team. Mm Mm-hmm. Somebody who can legitimately get you a triple double and shut down entire defensive possessions. Then there's only three guys in the entire NBA who can do that. So if you're not going to do that, you might as well find some way to get better, astronomically better at one or the other, um, pretty quick. Well, the good news is there's lots of room to go up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> lots of opportunity whole, for improvement, and actually, the the ceiling. you know, finishing off number twenty-four in the defensive rating. And by the way, these are from Basketball Reference. Finishing off number twenty-four was actually an improvement from where it had been earlier in the season. So they actually uh, increased. Again, remember, up until about mid-late January, this was one of the worst defenses in NBA history last season. That's that's the the, the level of performance that they were at they were getting murdered in almost every category. I went on a, a tweet rant, I think late December, chronicling where they ranked defensively against the worst defenses in NBA history, and they were right there at the bottom. And it wasn't pretty, but this no. is a new year, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, at the end of the season, they were trending upward. And that's, again, that, that's that Nurkic-sized hole. And... You've got guys like Evan Turner who, you know, he made a proclamation the other day saying he wants to make all NBA defense. Great. Alpha Alpha Camino did say the same thing. Those aren't guys that I'm worried about on defense though. It's it, it Portland's ability to be better defensively doesn't rely on Nurkic. It doesn't rely on Turner or Aminu or Harkless. It doesn't rely on anybody other than Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. I am not sure I agree with that because I am not convinced yet 
I'm I don't I am I don't know how good of a defender Nurkic is yet. I don't think we've had him long enough, and I don't think he's been around long enough to see other teams try to exploit him. Um, I think right now, because he was a big giant body under the um, under the basket, I think you know, t- and because it was like the second half of the season, I think people were not trying to penetrate. But I, st- I am not sure. I'm not sure. I'm just like I said. I'm just not sure how good of a defender he is. I'm comfortable enough in saying that he can defend a pick and roll on basic ice principles, playing below the free throw line, much like Robin Lopez, and be a big body inside with good leaping and, and, and timing instincts to be able to deter and block enough shots to be an above-average interior defender. I, I have no problem being able to say that about Nurkic. If he gets better and turned into an all-world defender, would that help the team? Certainly. But that still doesn't stop the, the penetration on the perimeter. Right. That still doesn't, that, that still doesn't stop Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum from dying on screens. That's, that's where the biggest improvement for this team in any singular facet can be made. Offense, defense, it, those two playing average to plus defense would mean the world to this team. So how did you see them playing in the preseason? Better, but I think some of that is masked by the preseason and some of it's masked by um, the, the pace that they're playing at. Yeah. Um, because we're playing faster? Yeah, the team is playing faster? Both teams are starting to play faster, and I think when you start getting – and I think that's part of it is that uh, you, if you put Portland in early possession defense or even against half-court defense – they just they don't typically do well. And I think if you're con- if you're putting in if you're putting the Trailblazers in, in half court defense and you're constantly picking and rolling against Lillard and McCollum, it benefits the opponent because not just because the the shots they're going to get, but you're going to wear Dame and CJ down. You put those you you put anybody in the NBA through 35, 40, 50 screens a night, that will wear you down. And you, you see that sometimes late in games where. And not just Dame. I mean, any point guard, any guy who's you know six foot, two hundred pounds, is has been hit that much all night long. At the end of the game, they don't want to go through those anymore. You just go, you know what? I'm gonna take this one off. I'm gonna fight. I'm not gonna fight on any. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and go under. I'm gonna cheat and go over. Like I'm not gonna make the read necessary here. I'm not gonna make. You know, I'm not gonna fight through. I'm just gonna hope to God I get it right, and try and make a play. So you don't know that if you've seen enough, you, you haven't seen enough in preseason to figure out how they're more because aggressive. they didn't play long enough. They, it, yeah, they didn't play enough aggressive. minutes. That that I will say, they are absolutely more aggressive. We're seeing that in the fouls, we're seeing that in the steals, and we're seeing that in the block shots. So uh, I'm if you're gonna be crappy defensively, be be crappy and aggressive. Okay. Like I, I would much rather that than being that bad defensively and passive that, that that's just that's just awful because you're not getting anything out of it are you saying that you think that they were more passive before and you you're seeing more aggression now oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. but, but we've also seen this story before we've seen them play faster and more aggressive in the preseason and then when things don't quite go as planned early in the season Terry Stotts has, has ratcheted things down. All right, slow the ball down. We're getting a little loose with it. We're getting too many turnovers. We're getting too many fouls. Sometimes I think you need to play through that. And again, this is me versus Coach Stotts, so <laughs> for whatever it's worth. Um, but I think that they need to play through some of those rough stretches. However, the, the counterpoint to that, and which is what, why Terry Stotts probably gets paid a whole lot more than I do to talk about this stuff, um, they can't afford to get off to a rough start this year. And that may play into it. If things kind of go sideways early on, they they may just kind of revert back to what they've been doing. And what they've been doing has been crap. Well, you're just full of all kinds of sunshine. <laughs> this, <laughs> hey, <evening. laughs> this isn't a secret. I mean, they, they are not a good defensive team. I mean, you, you look at their stats. You look at the only places that they performed well. And this was something we, we were talking about beforehand is – they do. They defend very well at the rim. One of the best in the NBA last year. Whether that was Mason Plumlee, Nurkic, Vonleh, it, it didn't matter. They they collapsed very well and defended shots at the rim in the restricted area better, better than any other team in the league. They also defended the corner three and allowed the second least corner threes in the NBA. The only team that allowed less was the, were the Utah Jazz, who were the best defensive team in the league. 
as far as limiting the most effective shots. So if you're looking at this from an analytics-based uh, defensive study, you're denying the two best shots in the league, the layup dunk attempt and the corner threes. Now they do allow uh, quite a few free throws. I think if it's second or third in free throws allowed, um, and that's just they foul a ton. Um, but they're they're denying where you need to deny, and then they just got they allowed a lot of shots in the paint outside of the restricted area. And this is something that we talked about quite a bit, um, or at least I did uh, last season. How unlucky they were they were getting torched in the five to 10 foot range, like way more than anybody else in the league. They were allowing a ton of shots there, but teams were hitting an ungodly amount of shots there. And that really, there's, there's some luck, some bad luck in there for Portland. And it's also probably has to do a lot with what their, their scheme is denying shots at the rim and not being very strong on penetration on the perimeter. Where's, where's that soft spot? You know, it's like, it's like, it's the peanut butter sandwich right there. You got, you got the bread on the outside and you know, one side's inside, one side's outside that soft spot, that, that creamy peanut butter in the middle. Uh, that's where teams were making their hay. So I, I think things change. I did change after Nurkic came though. And you, you said, you know, whether or not it was Plumlee or whether it was Nurkic, they were all, they were all good at the um, defending got, the rim. They got better. But Nurkic I think there was some, I think different things were happening between when Plumlee was the one who was there and when Nurkic was there. Because as far as I could tell, when it, when, before Nurkic was there, it wasn't just Plumlee at the rim. There were two people usually underneath the basket, which left the team shorthanded on the perimeter. And so like when you look at the numbers pre and post all-star game, the opponents were getting up the same amount approximately the same amount of field goals. They were averaging about 86 field goal attempts. Um, but the number of threes that they attempted after Nurkic got there went way down. So before Nurkic, opponents were attempting 26 threes. And after Nurkic, they were attempting 22. So something about Nurkic being there under the rim actually made them shoot fewer threes. And I think it's because once Nurkic was there, he was occupying all that space under the rim, and the Blazers then had a full complement of defenders to get out on the perimeter and make it harder for people who are shooting or you know even attempting to shoot those threes and deciding not to even take threes, maybe to settle for a two instead. So I think I think that was what the change was. And what I'm worried about, what I'm what I was saying before about, I'm not convinced. I'm not sure how good Nurkic is is because I'm not sure if what's going to happen when teams start running at him when he's all by himself under the rim, when they have the full complement of people out on the perimeter. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. It, it makes perfect sense. There's, I, I would say that that's probably 75% of it is how they were, how they adjusted having Nurkic there. I think the other part of that is um, comfort and belief in that, they knew that the seven foot one, three hundred pound Yusuf Nurkic was going to be in the paint no matter what. Mm-hmm. There, from literally the first time he got on the court with Damian Lillard, I remember. I think you and I talked about this offline too um, when this happened. Um, the first defensive pick and roll that I saw Lillard and Nurkic in, Lillard cheated on a screen and then didn't get out and recover, and Nurkic dropped in and played. He was on the left elbow and he pointed and barked at Lillard to get out mm-hmm. and cover him. This was literally the very first pick and roll that they ever ran defensively in a game. And it was like, oh, okay. He, he's got that in him. He, he's going to, he's, he's telling his guys right now, I'm not coming out there to bail you out. Uh-huh. Get your skinny butt out there and cover. So he was saying, I'm staying down here. Yep. Boxing somebody out or protecting anybody who's coming in. Yep. So that would be why you Run talked off about three point line. You talked about how well the Blazers defend right uh, in the restricted area, but the area in the paint outside the restricted area, they were letting all kinds of scoring happen. So yes. 
players were getting past Damien or past CJ in that area. And they had to take their shot before they got all the way. Their their pull up. And the thing was that there was some unlucky. And if you look at the post all-star break pre or post, I think it was exaggerated even more post all-star break that Portland gave up the most shots in the paint outside of the restricted area and allowed almost 50% shooting. So teams were trying to get to that area, knowing that that was the, a good opportunity for them to score. Do you think it's a, it's a good spot to get to. If you can get to the paint and hit that contest or non-contested shot before the help comes, I mean, that's a good shot to take. But I think as at the same time, I think Portland was also really, really unlucky. Um, they also teams attempted more mid range shots against Portland uh, post all-star break than any other team. So if you're saying that the team that Portland got really, really unlucky, I mean, are you saying there's nothing else they could have done or like, what else could they do? I th- I think part of it was unlucky in that usually you're expected, you know, 43, 44%, not nearly 47%. Okay. That's, that's a crazy number. Um, Cause we're, Usually there's, or typically there's going to be bodies in there to help out. Mm-hmm. So for a team to shoot nearly 50% on 14 shots, and it doesn't sound like that many, because we're, we're talking like seven and seven and a half makes here. Um, when we're talking about, you know, on the high end of the spectrum. But when you're talking about the, the margin of, of victory or margin of defeat in the NBA being five points or less, that one and a half, two shots that they're hitting more than uh, against other teams. Uh, let's, let's put this in perspective. The Detroit Pistons allowed 33.7%. The Blazers allowed 472 mm. the, the difference in those is literally two and a half makes. Mm-hmm. Two and a half make, two and a half times two is how many points? Five. It's literally the difference in the game. I don't I one of the things that I saw in preseason that makes me think it's not I mean of course luck there's a component of luck in every game all over the court everywhere but what I saw during preseason that had me thinking was that where I kept seeing Zach Collins and going oh somebody's there where there isn't usually somebody there I saw Zach Collins occupying space in that painted area outside the restricted area where I didn't see people before. I mean, that's why he looked good to me. And I know it's preseason and I know he has a lot, a long way to go before we call him an NBA player. But when I tried to tell you that I saw him doing things that I hadn't seen a blazer do before or for a while, that's exactly what now that I saw him doing was occupying space that previously hadn't been occupied in exactly that area, the painted area outside the restricted area. He had a way of being in, in that, which I felt like, you know, he would get his arm and he would, um, you know, make them have to pass the ball somewhere else. Yeah, no, I mean, having somebody like Collins, who's seven foot tall, who's got some length and some mobility is certainly going to, and he wants to block shots. He wants to play defense. So having that in, in in a player where you look up and down Portland's roster for the past few years, they really haven't had a guy at that position who really wants to do that. Mm-hmm. Alfa Camino is a great defender, but typically what he wants to do is get in passing lanes, um, be a help defender, do things of that nature. Alfa Camino uh, seems to be out like more closer to the line, not in the painted area. He seems and, and more when in he that does mid-range. Get in the paint, he's, he's coming in as a weak side shot blocker at the rim. Okay. Yeah, that and Aminu is probably one of the better weak side shot blockers in the league. Like he comes out of nowhere and makes incredible plays that he has no business making. And that that's a testament to his ability to, to read the offense and understand where the ball is going to be. Um, and, and you're right. And that, that's an area that Collins could excel in if he can if he can control that area while also maintaining, you know, leverage on his man. That's no. also a space that Myers occupies a lot because I I watch yes. him during the game because I I like that the the two point nine ever since I understood what's going on with the two point nine rule which is as I believe it uh, as, as I understand it when you are defending in the painted area you you know you, of course you can't be in the key for three seconds so you have to touch somebody by two point nine and so I'm always watching 
Myers uh, during that time. And I see him uh, touching guys all the time. And I realize he's it's because somebody. he's doing that. Yeah. So I definitely notice him in that area as well. And that's not to get too derailed too much. That's when you'll see people like give Myers a lot of grief. Right. Um, because he's stepping up to help. And well, that's the area nobody's we just talking about having exactly. big weaknesses in. And nobody's helping the helper. So Myers is stepping up and stopping the penetration right there. And then his man is, or, or somebody else is cutting back door or there's a lob that comes and then nobody's helping the helper. The weak side, the, the short corner isn't coming down in to help. But again, that's where you have to balance the game plan. It is the guy in the, that's in the short corner covering the guy that's the, the three point shooter in the corner. Is he more worried about his man getting that shot that they're trying to deny than maybe coming down and helping where he should be technically but at the same time, he's going, okay, this is the, this is the shot we don't want to give up. This is the shot we don't want to give up. It's not, this is, you know, that's what's kind of in his head. And I think uh -huh. you get, sometimes you get some of that with a young team. Like, this is what I have to do no matter what, uh -huh. as opposed to reading and reacting and making the play as necessary. You know, it's from just the little bit we've seen of Swanigan. I see him as a reactor much more than Myers has been. Myers is more of a thinker. Yes. And sometimes it, sometimes it's, it's good when you need to take that extra second to make the right pass. But when you're in that painted area, <laughs> you got to react. And I see Swanigan as somebody who reacts. Swanigan and Collins both have that, that idea and that mindset. If I'm going to make the mistake, I'm going to make it at a hundred miles an hour. Right. Yeah. And that, that's something that, uh, and that's I, I know one thing we I, talked I, about. Yeah. I, I've said some, you know, things about Collins where I, I hope he figures it out, but I think that's something he already has figured out. And that's, that's a good thing because especially for a guy, his, his age, that's just something you don't typically see. Swanigan's a little bit older. He's got a little bit more under, you know, but he also, I think, and even the, 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 the veteran players have all said it. He plays like he's been in the league for three years. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's going to be huge for, Portland's defense, I think, for the secondary unit, um, where I think Swanigan's going to ultimately spend most of his time, is if, if you've got a guy whose learning curve is that high, you're, you're going to help the defense. Mm -hmm. So and I think then you, then you can use a guy like Ed Davis in areas that where he's more effective. So those, those are the little things where we can see Portland's defense sort of mature and get better. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it, the biggest improvements, the the, the game-changing stuff it comes down to those two between Dame and CJ. Is really going to be on defending the pick and roll. Yeah, I mean, it, they're both so bad at it that if they got to average, it would be massive for Portland. What do you think, what type of offense do you think the this Trailblazer team is best equipped to defend? The Lakers. Why? Because they're not very good. You're not allowed to say because they're bad. I wrote that in the show notes. Okay, everybody oh, needs to you? know. I said, I told Dan, I'm going to ask this question. What type of offense do you think oh, this team is best equipped to defend? And you can't say bad. I wrote it in the notes, Dan. I'm exposing you for someone who doesn't follow the rules. I didn't see it in the parentheses. I was just, I was skipping past. Uh, as much as I beat up on Damon CJ for being bad in the pick and roll, and they're god awful there. They're in isolation. They're both very good for, for what they are. I mean, are they Tony Allen or Avery Bradley in isolation? No. But if you get them out on an island one-on-one, -on -one, they're fine. Like, you don't, I don't worry about them. Are they going to get beat from time to time? Certainly. Especially Dame, who's going against, you know, the guys at the point guard position who are the, some of the best isolation players in NBA history. I mean, the, the guys that put the ball on the floor from that position right now are just ridiculous. Um, what do you think about a team like, I mean, you just talked about how the, the Blazers are among the best at preventing the corner threes and, you know, in the restricted area. Well, that sounds like Maury ball to me. Like, how do you think they will be against somebody like Houston? Well, Chris Paul is Damian Lillard kryptonite. So I, I, I'm not excited for that matchup. But a team that relies heavily on that type of shot selection. Yeah. But even then the, the way that they're going to create it. You're you're because they're going to create it by pick by make a series of pick and rolls pick to and open rolls everybody else. Chris Paul and James Harden, so that they're they're going to put Dame and CJ in their worst defensive positions fifty times a night a piece. I mean, and then they'll go to those spots where the Blazers are strong, but they will be weakened because they've broken yeah. down everybody else along the way. That's why I say a team like the Lakers, and it's not just because the Lakers aren't any good; it's because the Lakers don't have an identity. 
So they're going to go into isolation. They're going to try and run Lonzo and pick and rolls. But beyond that, wh- who's, what are they going to do more often than not? When, when things go wrong in the NBA, you know what they do? They go to an isolation, especially a young team. And you look at a team like um, the Lakers, who have nothing but young players. Uh, they're, the one thing I think that may help them out is that they do have Brooke Lopez. They can they can toss the ball into him from time mm-hmm. to time to bail them out. But I think they're going to go into some pick and roll with Lonzo, which is going to put him in a good position. But he hasn't shown he can hit a shot in the NBA consistently. Well, let's think about some of the teams that are in our division, <laughs> the most brutal division ever. Um, Denver's going to be a nightmare for Portland to cover because, the, well, they had the potential to be a nightmare because of the way Nokic no, no no is Jerkic and, and or Nurkic and Jokic went together, apparently. Uh, yeah. because of the That's way why I just Jok- call him Joker, because yeah. I get myself all confused. The way he can facilitate um, can definitely put people in, in, in some tough positions. But Nurkic just outplayed the living bejesus out of him last mm-hmm. season. So there, there's some hope there for being able to neutralize some of that. Um, Oklahoma City is obviously going to present a billion problems. Um, because they have three guys who can take you out on an island and completely and totally abuse you, just possession after possession. Um, Russell Westbrook isn't getting stopped by anybody, let alone Dame. Um, they, he can shoot himself in and out of a night, but I, I don't think Dame's going to really have a much of an impact. And that's not a shot at Dame. Nobody really has a much of an impact on, on Westbrook's game other than Westbrook. <laughs> so we sure got they they sure got in his head last year. Yeah, I mean, he, in December, he has those. That was yeah, such he, a great game. I was oh, at that yeah. game. That was he so wonderful. Nights, and he does it against Portland because I think he wants to show that he's, he runs this division kind of a deal. Uh, but he's also had games where he's just gone absolutely bananas against Portland. Uh, I, that's typically how Westbrook plays against Portland is you, you get the the incredibly wide variance uh, in his game where he's either going to go off or he's going to go off and just be a complete time bomb. That's just completely self-destructs so is um is uh the uh, timberwolves are they going to rely on the mid-range and in that area where that's a team i think it's going like jimmy butler and cat and and wiggins all three of them they like to get to that spot and and butler loves to get to the rim and he has been phenomenal so far in the preseason from from what i've watched that minnesota team he is integrating near seamlessly and that's a scary thought for what that team could turn into, because if they really get it together, um, Jimmy Butler cat pick and rolls are a nightmare Like for any team to cover. Trying to figure out how you want to deal with a guy like Butler who can get downhill better than almost anybody in the league and, and gets to the free throw line, you know, eight, nine, ten times a game and it can bully just about anybody at his position and then have to deal with Cat. I mean, Portland's going to be tested in this division. Right. A, a ton. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I have no doubt about that. But my, I guess to, to kind of wrap up the, the, the defensive discussion, for you, they could do as, you know, as well and better on, you know, they're already doing a few, you know, a few things right at the rim, in the corner. Uh, they're getting better on the perimeter. But until they cover how they're doing pick and roll that's where you really that's, that's the only that's, where we're going to see really the improvement yeah because if you do better in the pick and roll coverage if, if you force them to take more contestant shots if you force somebody to pick the ball up a step earlier or to get a hand up a little bit sooner if, if you don't completely die on a screen mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing to get caught that happens. It's going to happen plenty to every right. point guard in the NBA. But if you don't die and you recover enough just to put the slightest going. bit of pressure, <laughs> just to put the slightest bit of pressure or to force him to pick up and shoot a step earlier than he wants to, that's going to drop the percentage of the shot. So we can see that visually by whether or not Damian and CJ are turning right into the gut of Taj Gibson or yes. how does it translate statistically? Does it translate into fewer pick and rolls altogether by the opponent how how does it translate statistically pick and rolls and dribble handoffs are going to be the bread and butter of the nba for the next probably 20 years unless somebody figures out a way to to really generate four-point plays like regularly um so will we notice that if they're being more effective because of fewer so i mean so we can watch it physically but 
And is that the only the way you can tell? Or yeah, like, we'll is see it... where the shots manifest. Okay. Like where the shots are coming from. Are they being contested? Um, are you, let's put it this way. A guy like Chris Paul, he wants to get to the rim. He can pull up from three or he wants to get to the elbows at either side of the free throw line. That's where he wants to get to nearly every single time he's going to shoot. He, he burns holes in the ground at each elbow every single night. The guy shoots like 52% from there. It's, it's okay. ungodly what he's able to do from that. Being able to take a player like Chris Paul and make him shoot that a step earlier instead okay. of, instead of at 14 feet, make him take it at 17. Okay. Those are the little battles that over a hundred possessions win games. Because you're dropping his percentage from a ridiculous 50 plus percent to 42 or 43 mm-hmm. percent. And that over time, the averages went out. Right. Over a hundred possession game. When it's close, that makes a difference. And those are the margins of error for every single game. I mean, we're talking about over the course of a season, over the course of a season, five points being the NBA average in wins and losses. That's that's where you have to win those battles. And it's not sexy. It's not pretty. It's the minutia of the game that will ultimately decide. And this is the stuff that, that Portland, being where they are in the pecking order of the NBA, they have to win those little battles. They're not the Warriors. They're not the, the Cavs. They're not the Rockets, where they're just going to come out and drop 140 at the, at the, you know, the drop of a hat, where they've got four or five all-stars or some of the legitimate MVP candidates, no doubt shortlisters up and down their roster. If they're going to compete for, like what Ben said, as a, as a fifth position in the West, they have to do those little things right in order to have any remote chance of getting there. But it, it seems to me like those little things could we could see improve. I mean, that's a, that's a place where continuity come and communication comes in because they're at the point where it's the little things now. And they're, you know, they've been doing all this talk in the preseason about, you know, being accountable and, you know, is this what they're talking? Is this what you think that they're talking about is all those little things knowing that you don't want Chris Paul coming all the way to the elbow, you know, make him take it from three feet out, knowing exactly how you're going to prevent him from getting there. Yeah, and I, th- I, th- I think, again, the whole bad boys and being tough about things is, is actually a part of this. As long as CJ stays on the bench. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to turn, turn a corner on a pick and roll, every now and then you're going to catch a hip check from Caleb Swanigan. Nurkic is going to lower the boom on you. Myers Leonard is going to run you over at the rim. The, all those things, is, is as ridiculous as it may sound, it absolutely plays a role in a game, night in and night out. So are you are you feeling like the Blazers have a good chance of improving their defense and going turning it around and not going not getting fully turning it around? No. Improving it, yes. The potential is absolutely there to improve it. Where do you think that they might CJ. CJ's the guy. We saw it last year in the playoffs. What he did to Clay Thompson, the the blueprint is there. Yeah. Like, but expecting him to do it. For 81 games instead of 82, that's tough. But if he if, if he can give 70 to 75 percent of what he gave in that playoff series defensively, night in night out, that's that's probably worth two and a half to three wins. Yeah, I still I still want to see Nurkic. I want to see him, def, you know, get enough play to see how he is on defense. Because right wow, now, I, like this? I said. Team mom isn't optimistic about something. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, the guys I'm hardest on are the guys I care about the most, which is why I get so mad at CJ. You know, it's why I hold Dame to a really high standard. They're like, they're the ones that I, I that's have. Why you're never mad at Myers. I have really high expectations. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. Anyway, let's wrap it up because, I think we just got one more topic that I thought we should talk on. And that's the importance of the strong start that oh, everybody's God. been talking about. Ugh. Right. I mean, if, I if think there's a talking point that hasn't been beaten to death more, I, I don't know what it is, it's but the thing true, is, though. it's absolutely right. We said they've been just, I mean, like if this was the FCC, just prepare the, the dump button because they've been beep, 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 just absolutely awful to start the season the last two years. They had, Damian Lillard's production to start last season was superlative. Everybody else save CJ was crap. And it showed immediately. 
Okay, I Evan, thought we weren't going to talk in superlatives this year. No, no, no. Evan Turner's production in his play when he first came out for Portland was some of the most frustrating basketball I've watched in the decade. So to stay above that bar, it shouldn't be difficult, right? Okay. So if we're, if we're starting our position there, we're already looking okay. Right. And they have a pretty good schedule at the beginning yes. of the season. We're starting a little bit earlier. There's no wear and tear from, from a pile of preseason games. Um, Vonley's the only one that's supposed to be out with obviously CJ missing some time for at Possibly least game one. Shabazz, he might be and out for a little bit. We he may him. not, he may not be ready, but neither one of those guys, Vonley and, and Napier have really, or they not only have they not been there in preseason, they haven't really figured into anything. Like, is anybody really missing Noah Vonley right now? And I know that sounds like a, like a jerk thing to say, but is anybody really missing Noah Vonley right now? Yeah, we don't know. With the way Caleb Swanigan's producing, the things that Collins has showed, Myers, people are sitting here, oh, he's laser-focused, blah, blah, blah. And then, he, you know, he has three games where he just absolutely lights the rim on fire from three. This is, I mean, if he, if this is real, is anybody missing Noah Vonley? So, okay, we can kind of scratch that off the list. So they've, their front court is kind of figured out, and you've got some legitimate depth there. And you've got some potential there. We keep talking about potential, potential, potential with Vonley, and it's never really shown. I think Swanigan's already shown in this preseason more than Vonley has shown in his entire time in Portland. And that's not necessarily a shot at Vonley as much as it that Swanigan really could be something special uh, as far as what this team needs. So they've got that going for them. Dame and CJ already look like they're in midseason form. Nurkic has added his ability to knock down a shot. So all these things are trending up, and Portland just went 5-1 and one in the preseason. Their best winning percentage since like 98 or 99, I think is what it was. So things are looking good, which means inevitably something's going to go sideways because this is Portland. See, Dan, you could have just stopped with things are looking good. <laughs> that's that's all you got to say. Things are oh. looking good. Oh, no, I'm just, I, I refuse to and believe think, it. Where am I going with happens. the rest of the sentence? Maybe I'll just stop right there. <laughs> so for reference, so the first 10 games... I, I, we're obviously not going to go into each one of them. Um, we've got Phoenix, we're a uh, three game road trip, Phoenix, Indiana, and Milwaukee. And then we come, they come home and play new Orleans Clippers, Phoenix, Toronto. They go on a one game trip to Utah and then come back to the Lakers and Oklahoma city. And I have a very optimistic, very unscientific prediction of seven and three. Yeah, you're chalked up the first five games as wins. They're gonna go. Yeah, they're gonna come right out and they're gonna go on a five game winning streak. And everyone's well, gonna be like super excited. And then they're gonna get back down to Phoenix. And the fourth time we've played Phoenix, they've played Phoenix in a month is just gonna be too much. They're just gonna be like we can't <laughs> play Phoenix again. Yeah. I, so I think they're gonna win the first five. Then they're gonna go on a little. Um, they're going to lose to Phoenix and they're going to lose in Toronto and then they'll come back and right the ship uh, against Utah and the Lakers. And I think Oklahoma city is going to be tough. I, th I don't know if they're going to be able to beat them the first time they play them this year. I'm, I'm sitting like, I want them or I expect them to do. Okay. The, the Phoenix game, I think we both have as a win. That's clearly a wild card now with CJ out. Yeah. Uh, It'll still be a win. I, I have I have a theory that sometimes when things get like go go sideways, it actually makes everyone sometimes it does a help. Harder. Yes, in an opening night, thankfully it's on the road, so they don't they don't have the the home stuff to do. So maybe you're right. Maybe they they focus down and get that one in. And I'm I'm probably eighty percent certain that that's that's a win. The Indiana game probably a win. The Milwaukee game I do not have down as a win. I think at Milwaukee on a back to back early in the season between Indiana and Milwaukee. I think the Milwaukee one's probably a loss. Giannis is just, that's a lot to deal with. And I, I don't think that's a shot at, at, at Portland in, in preparation or anything like that. I just think that early season on the road, tough contest, short night, back to back. That's, yep. They're coming that's, out that's, on fire. They're going on a five game winning streak. Yeah, you've streak. got them on a five game winning streak. I've got them dropping one to Milwaukee. And then I think they'll drop one to either the Clippers or New Orleans. And I know how weird that sounds, but that just seems like something very Portlandy. 
<laughs> I'm more just... worried about New Orleans than I am about the Clippers, and it's solely based on the last game that we played against New Orleans when uh, they last got year. But it, that's the home opener, so I yeah, I so do the believe the Trailblazers be. will win that one. Yeah, and that's why I kind of I, I'm leaning towards the Clippers. I, I can't wait. I hope Swanigan gets minutes because I can't wait to see him play against Boogie. Oh my god, that's that be that amazing. would be entertaining. There's no doubt in my mind. That, that's two guys that don't like the. It may just be like watching two bulls in a china shop, and it's it'd be, it'd be old school NBA, and it'd be it, it'll be phenomenal. I really hope that Zach Randolph's healthy when uh, they play the Kings too, because I want I want Swanigan and Randolph to just just beat the hell out of each other in the paint. I, that I could just sit there, just get the popcorn ready, and just watch those two just go at it. Um, the back half of the first ten games: Phoenix, Toronto, Utah, Lakers, Thunder. There's going to be some wily stupidness going on in that Toronto Portland has been one of the best matchups as far as like league pass watch is concerned um, for like the last five or six years. This is something we've talked about a ton um, throughout the past like two years on the podcast. Um, it's just always a game that you want to watch um, Lowry and, and, and DeRozan going against Dame and CJ. It's just a great matchup. And now you've got Valanciunas and, and Nurkic to battle it out. So it's a really natural matchup. Um, uh, kind of a battle of wills and play style. Um, I think it's gone to overtime, something like eight out of the last nine or seven out of the last nine. So that's going to be probably the coin toss game in there. And then we get to see how Portland looks against New Look Utah and New Look Oklahoma City. So but it sounds gonna, like you're they're feeling gonna drop like one or two of those. So I, I know it sounds bad, but I have them at five and five or six and four. And that's, I'm, I'm kind of setting my expectations a little bit low. But I think if they can come out six and four or better, then that's really setting the table well. You think that's good enough? Yes. I think five and five, you're kind of like, that's considered a good start. That's six not... and four above 500, you consider that a good start. Yeah, because I think really heading into the new year, that's when they really need to be ready to go. They need to be five or six games above 500 at that point in time. And November into early December is when you're going to kind of have to make that that hay. Well, I think they're going to come out strong. I think they have a good attitude. I like what I've seen. I like the focus. I've, you know, I'm fully bought in. <laughs> to, they're playing way the better than I anticipated. Points. I'm like, I'm ready. So if they come out and play well and they go seven and three, I wouldn't find that surprising. From all the the national chatter that I've heard after the preseason, I've heard a lot more folks from the national scene um, be like, Hey, you know, Portland's looking pretty good. They may surprise people. There's they're starting yeah, they're to playing better basketball than I think anybody anticipated. And that's not just the superstar guys. It's the other guys. It's, it's guys like Swanigan. It's guys like Leonard um, Collins being productive. Evan Turner Bo coming had in. that great night when he was perfect from the field. He was six of six from the field. Yeah, that was fantastic. Uh, Aminu's hitting shots like Aminu. Remember last year how many games Aminu had where he was one of six, oh five 5 from three? Mm -hmm. He hasn't really had any of those nights. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm just I'm 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 anxious about what's going to happen once everybody gets the, a look at the Blazers and then starts changing their game plans and seeing how the Blazers react when people change their game plans against them. You know what I mean? Because like right now it's all fresh. Everybody, you know, so many teams have been through so many changes. I think people are like concentrating on trying to figure out what the game plan is for these teams that are like totally different than they were last year. So they're going to come in kind of just figuring we'll do what we did last year against Portland. And then they'll play Portland and go, whoa, Portland got a lot better. And then the next time they play them, they'll they'll come up with a few more, you know, uh, more game plan and how Portland reacts to that, I think, is going to give us a really good indication of where they are and how ready they are to improve. So anyway, we should wrap it up right about now. Um, got anything else to add about opening night? Just remind everybody we're going to be yeah. at Spirit of 77. Yeah, exactly. We'll be at Spirit of 77. And yes, it is my birthday. And yes, I will take uh, any and all offers of beverages uh, if, if, you, if you do come around. Um Yes, I'm soliciting for drinks on the podcast. I, I, I don't I don't care how low it sounds like I'm stooping. Um, it's your birthday. We'll, it's my birthday. We'll let you do so. it. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll let you have that one day. Yeah, other than that, I mean, I think it's going to come out if, if you're in the area, if you're not going to be at the, you know, obviously at the game in Phoenix. Um, but if you're in, in and around the area or if you're feeling like making the trip, it, it's it's definitely a cool time to just kind of 
be around a ton of Blazers fans at the same time. Um, we did this for the draft at Spirit of 77, and really it's, it's a great place to, to catch a game beyond anything else. Um, and if thing goes, things go sideways, you can watch Dan meltdown yes, in you person. Can actually, you can actually see. Which is super exciting. Here's, here's the crazy thing. You, you will see fan Dan. Yeah. That, that, oh, yeah. That is a real thing. Tara and the other Blazers Edge staff members have seen Fan Dan before. It is a little bit different than podcast Dan. I, I do get rather emotional during games. Yeah, you hop a lot. You hop I do up hop, and down. I do hop and yell and scream and, and have, have fun. Well, anyway, thanks to everybody for sticking with us, listening to us. Um, we're excited to get the season going. We're going to bring it every week. And uh, try to keep up with a Blazers team, which I know is going to bring it every week as well. Dan, you can find at DMerang on Twitter. You can find me at TCB Biggs. You can also find us on Blazers Edge. And you can go to BlazersEdge.com to find the podcast, to find all kinds of great articles written by our fantastic writing staff, news analysis all kinds of great stuff recaps um and also go visit almightyballer.com and find out what's going on with all the other nba teams if you are interested and definitely stop by and say hi to us at spirit of 77 we will talk to you next week go blazers